ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. The following discussion was recorded prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, which has led to widespread interruption of eye care practices and patient care. Despite the immediate challenges facing optometry, the principles of expanding and optimizing your practice will become even more imperative. Welcome to another episode of To The Point Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors that want to start and grow their dry eye practice. My name is Jackie Garlick. I am an optometrist practicing in Boston, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell from York, Pennsylvania. So today we're going to focus on diagnosis of dry eye, which seems like an easy enough thing, but let's say that you've committed that you really want to, you know, you want to grow your dry eye practice. Um, for me, when I sort of really know that I want to do that, I also then feel like, okay, what equipment do I need to buy? I want to buy this. I want to buy a mitographer. I want to do this, but I got a really good piece of advice from Damon Durker, actually, who said, um, I asked him, we were, um, I asked him, I said, okay, so now now that I'm like all the way in, like I I definitely want to, you know, commit to growing my dry eye practice. What is, what is your recommendation? What do you think I should buy as my first piece of equipment? And you know what he said? Did I tell you this story? No. He said, you shouldn't buy anything. And I was like, oh, he's like, you got to figure out what your protocol is going to be, how that would fit in your office as you're talking more about it and treating it more. Like, what does that look like in your office? And then you'll kind of see what you do need or what you feel like would be a valuable thing. And that was like a really good piece of advice Mm -hmm. because I was all like, I need this, I need that, I need this. And, and honestly, I feel like that was really helpful because then I, this was like at Academy in Orlando And then I went back to the office and sort of really thought about this, talked about patients, about thermal therapy, et cetera. And I really did kind of find like, oh, this is actually, I think, something that I would feel valuable purchasing this piece of equipment. So Mm -hmm. I think that's actually a really excellent piece of advice is just don't buy anything first. Just like figure out what you're doing, implement small and then get bigger. You don't need all the equipment to begin treating dry eye, which I think is one of the um, thought process I had in the beginning is that I need to buy this because I don't have anything to really treat them with other than drops well, and or all something. The new technology's fun and it's exciting cool. And it looks yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Like your glands are totally atrophied. This is amazing. Not really, but you know, it's like really <laughs> cool to see that. So, um, and I feel like it resonates well with patients, but you don't have to invest a ton of money in the beginning. You can sort of figure out how you're going to tackle all of this. So, that's the point of this episode um, is to talk about just the diagnosis and how to um, kind of start there and start with something simple like implementing the questionnaires. So I'm hoping, Leslie, you can talk about TFOS, what that is. Um, I think historically I felt felt that that's complicated, like DUS2. I'm like, I don't really know what they're talking about with DUS2. So let's like break that down to like make it an easy sort of digestible yeah. thing. Well, I mean – Everybody seems to want to recreate the wheel. I feel like when I talk to people, they're always saying, I want to figure out what the protocol is going to be. And I understand what he's saying and agree 100% that you don't need to go all in and buy things to start. You want to grow your practice first, um, invest in you know, the patients, and then you'll have the money to spend on the technology that is going to make your job a little bit easier. Um, but I, I do sometimes disagree with people trying to 
to recreate their own protocol, much like you using a, your own dry eye survey, you know, why use your own dry eye survey if there are validated surveys that can be reproducible and we know through research that they actually can help us understand if symptoms are improving, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, you know, maybe don't make it so complicated. Exactly. People sometimes, yeah. well, A, um, people don't know who TFOS is. So TFOS is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to dry eye disease. So they're um, the Tear Film and Ocular Surface Society. I reached out to them, I mean, wow, probably when when my passion for dry eye first started, which was um, 2007 or four or something, probably around the time of the first report. So in my case, I was working in a surgical practice. I was treating a lot of um, post-cataract dry eye. I was trying to learn as much as I could, and they were the best resource because they were the house of all of the research, right? Mm -hmm. And so their first report in 2007 brought together worldwide leaders, whether you were an ophthalmologist, an optometrist, a researcher, industry, um, somebody that maybe just had an interest in dry eye, like a, um, I met the woman that has the dry eye um, website, Rebecca Petrus. Um, so, you know, it's uh, everybody that's got an interest in dry eye. And so that has grown um, over the past 10 years. So now in 2017, they released the Dry Eye Workshop Part 2, TFOS Do's 2, which mm -hmm. you have heard of. You yes. know, and mm -hmm. a lot of times people say, well, this is so overwhelming. But anyway, what that did was condense 10 more years of research. I think it was like 20,000 papers that they had to take, figure mm -hmm. out what was important, and then find a way to streamline it so that you and I can use it in, in, in private practice or wherever we work, you know, in an academic setting, wherever condense yeah. it. Yeah. But then I, you know, but that document is a little bit overwhelming, but I still would say if you're interested in dry eye, that's your thing. I would read it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even if it is 400 and some pages, it's worth it. I mean, you, if you want to get into nitty gritty details, I mean, even when you're talking about thermal treatments, where I started there was the myvomian gland workshop that TFAS put out. And yes, you you know some of it might be a little bit too scientific for you or mm -hmm. me or, um, but if you want to really understand how the meibomian glands perform, that is is like the you know the encyclopedia of 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 that. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it, what a great resource. But what they did really well is make an executive summary, which is downloadable. Tfas.org. Or tearfilm.org. No, no. yeah, yeah. Yep, tearfilm.org, sorry. Yeah. Um, and they have an app on your phone. So if you're um, just looking for like something quick, you can look there as well. And so for that actual, that summary, you can find that. We just pulled it up here. It's tearfilm.org. Uh, and then you go to reports. Okay. And then that's where it is. It's yeah, right and at the so top there. Now this one is a little bit longer. This one might be like a few pages, but they have a two-sided one that you could have. You okay. Know, sometimes it's nice to have that. But anyway, the, the gist of this is, you, you actually don't really need any high science to make the diagnosis of dry eye. Right. So if you look at their, um, if you look at their treatment algorithm, um, the staging of the disease, figuring out if you really truly have dry eye, one thing is what you're already doing, assessing risks, right? So mm -hmm. now that might be on your history form that you have for patients. Like, are they smokers? What kind of medicines are they taking? What's their age and gender? Mm -hmm. Are they a contact lens wearer? I mean, you know the risk, you know, and, and we might need to talk about risk factors, but the risk factors, you know, for dry eye, um, digital device use, right. you know, throwing in things now like um, how much preservative are they getting exposed to, whether it's through glaucoma medications or facial products that they might be using with um, cosmetics and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But then the, to make a diagnosis of dry eye, you only need two things. Only two. Lay it on me. Doesn't sound hard, right? <laughs> no. So one is a questionnaire. You need to have symptoms. 
Mm -hmm. um, and it's recommended that you use, um, actually TFOS 2 recommends either the dry eye questionnaire five, DEQ five, DEQ five. Yep. And so, or the OSDI. Mm -hmm. um, so the ocular surface disease index, um, a lot, it, it talks about speed and we've talked about speed right. and, you know, still I, it is a validated questionnaire. And so even though it might not be in their highlight box, I still know, you know, a lot of doctors and myself use speed. speed. So, yeah. but the, the yeah. key of all of those are their validated questionnaires, which means they're repeatable, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, questionnaire, what's that? What's the second thing? So the second thing is just your fluorescein and lysamine green. So one thing you might not have is lysamine green. So mm -hmm. the first buy I would say is lysamine green strips. Yeah. Um, and if you, so I don't, do you have them? Yet? I do. In, yeah. In, so mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. So you already have all you need. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad. <laughs> You're set. Um, so what you need from your fluorescein and, and uh, lysamine green strips is just a positive staining on the corneal or con or conjunctiva. So not even an and cornea or conjunctiva. So yeah. you don't need corneal staining to find dry eye, which right. I think a lot of times people are waiting for that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, no. that is way downstream mm -hmm. in the whole inflammatory process. So if you're treating based on corneal keratitis, you want to move the needle up, right? So yeah. I think we might have talked about that before. It's like treating the patient with a 0.7 cup, 0.8 cup. You know, you rather would start that glaucoma patient when they're 0.5. Right, right. right. Um, now, to get a little bit – so what you need is is – positive staining mm -hmm. or same thing from your fluorescein, you can do a tear breakup time. So you need that tear breakup time to be less than 10. The third thing, which that, I feel like is everyone. Yeah. Don't I know. Feel like I mean, once you start looking, I mean, everyone, right. Yeah. Especially, um, your population of, of oh, yeah. patients, um, you are working with everybody who is working, right? Yes. Digital device, heavy yes. use, that kind of thing. The last test um, that they include in the diagnosis, but remember it's an or, so you only need to have symptoms. Mm -hmm. And one of these tests is tear film osmolarity, which we talked about with the point of care testing. Um, but you don't need that to get started necessarily. You can start building your practice and finding your dry eye patients with your fluorescein and lysamine green, which most practices already have. Yeah. So a word, you use speed, right? The questionnaire mm -hmm. speed. So what is your, what are your cutoffs for yeah, speed? Because so I feel like that's This is sometimes a, the tricky part about mm -hmm. speed. You know, I've actually talked to Don Korb, who was behind that questionnaire, and mm -hmm. he felt like if you, if a patient was answering more than one, that you should be looking for dry eye and meibomian gland dysfunction. Um, I've heard six, I've heard eight. Um, I saw a scale that was, um, I think five to seven was moderate. Oh, oh, moderate. I think it was zero to four was mild. Okay. Yeah. And five that, to seven moderate and then eight or more is severe. Yeah, and that, you know, kind of goes back to what I was saying with, with, um, Dr. Corb. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that's important. And the OSDI that has like the, the second page of the OSDI actually has your scoring. Yeah, I mean, and it. so sometimes it's a little bit daunting, but there is an app I think that you can use for that as well now um, that calculates it for you so you don't have to spend the time or you don't have to teach your tech how to do that and yeah. make sure that it's calculated the right way. And it's pretty easy to, to use if you have an iPad in your office. You can just implement that. And, yeah. Yeah. So um, the during your comprehensive exam, you're, let's say, now, can you remind me, do you do a questionnaire on all of your patients or just... 
Well, I'm doing it for all my dry eye patients. Um, and so that's where, that's where the transition to the dry eye exam, you know, that might be more of where the complications are, like identifying the patient during an, another type of an exam and having them return. Right. And so, you know, some practices do screen all their patients. We, yeah, we use a questionnaire at the time of the dry eye evaluation and any dry eye follow-up. Yeah. I think that's useful to like have your baseline and to see for yourself and for your patient, like yeah. how the improvements are oh, happening. Oh, for sure. Um, all right. So you're, you, you know, having them, you're seeing them for their comprehensive, you're having them back. Let's say that you discover something, they have a symptom or you see something in your exam of which you're doing fluorescein mm -hmm. staining on every comprehensive exam, right? So you'll pick up whatever, and then you'll have them back and do what else on your, that's when you're doing, you're implementing the speed. Right. And so that's where, so those two things I'm telling you, symptoms and signs mm -hmm. that tells you, okay, at least I'm dealing with dry eye disease and not something else. Okay. Like, um, maybe contact lens intolerance that's not related to dry eye disease, maybe mapped out dystrophy, maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, a recurrent erosion or some, you know, something else like that. So now you know that you're dealing with dry eye, but remember that we have, you know, aqueous deficient dry eye and we mm -hmm. have evaporative dry eye. And mm -hmm. so that's where the technologies that we have really start to step in and help us to subtype. So that's where you know, mybography and in non, uh, well, not so much non-invasive tear breakup time because that's still part of the diagnosis, but um, the imaging that we have, uh, tear menisc me measuring things like tear meniscus height, that, that really can help us be accurate. Yeah. Um, but, but that's something yeah. you can do in your slit lamp. Like yeah. you don't need technology exactly. to measure so tear meniscus height. Right. So how exactly do you do that? Do you do that? Well, I mean, you can do that with your slit lamp. Beam. Yeah, just like your beam yeah. and short. And so you're looking yeah. at two millimeters. Okay, so two millimeters would be considered mild. 0.2 millimeters, sorry. And 0.1 millimeter would be considered moderate. And then zero, like you're not seeing anything in a tear lake that would be considered severe. So you can start to look at that. Um, in and your, your, your tear lake, sorry to interrupt, your tear lake is talking about your aqueous deficient patients. Right. right. Okay. And so Great. that helps yeah. you to sub, subtype into that aqueous deficient. You can still lean on things like a Shermer, which not many, not, not many of us are doing, but maybe as you're starting to kind of eyeball this tear meniscus height, you want to check yourself with a Shermer every once in a while to see like, okay, do I really see nothing? Mm -hmm. And then right. see what the Shermer compares. I mean, just a thought in the early, you know, early time yeah. of doing it. Yeah. Um, same is true with the evaporative side. How do you determine the evaporative side is you want to figure out what the glands are doing. Right. And so remember that when you're looking at the glands, it's structure function. So you were saying we can do that with transillumin, you know, we were talking about transillumination. Um, so I don't, I like to have my biography. Right. When I have my biography, I can teach the patient what I'm seeing. Yes. But I started with some, I actually started and there was no my biography. <laughs> Not to make me sound like a dinosaur. But so I had to grow up without technology. And that's mostly. probably how I learned to live without, you know, things and grow yeah. into them. So yeah. it's kind of funny to think about. Yeah. I mean, much like glaucoma, we didn't always yeah. have the OCT technologies that we have right now that's looking at ganglion cell loss. And, you know, I actually, in my residency, um, Dr. Tony Litwack, taught us how to, to use the red green filter and stare at the nerve and measure, um, nerve ending loss, like, which is basically what the OCT and um, HRT technology started to do. Yeah. Um, but we, we, that's what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, so it, it is, no, but that makes you a better doctor. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then so relying too much too, on instrumentation. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't want to rely too much, but yeah. in the case of my biography, it's nice because now you can tell the patient instead of saying, this is what I'm seeing and yeah. like having to describe it, you can show them and to them, that's a powerful message. So yeah. I do think that that's a, 
not first line type of buy, but something that would be when I had a little bit of money to invest, one of the first things that I would want. For sure. Right? But so anyway, getting back to that, when when we started using um, thermal treatments, our first, the only treatment that was available, it was 2012, was um, thermal pulsation with Lipiflow. We had the Lipiview version one, which only measured lipid layer thickness and partial blinks. Okay. Okay. So we didn't even have mybography. And we, and actually our, our practice was one of the first ones to have mybography to kind of experiment with. It was on two different machines. So, it, wow. you know, we're talking about small footprint, not taking up too much room. It, it wasn't like that back then, but, yeah. um, but what I did before that was I just used my transilluminator and honestly, until I was trained properly, I was doing it outside of the slit lamp. So I would use my finger with the transilluminator under the lid margin in a dark room. And I would look for like shadows of the glands. So when you do that, the whole entire lid kind of glows orange. Um, and, but you're looking for the dark shadows mm -hmm. that are the lines of the meibomian glands. So they'll look like dark lines. Um, but then some, some genius came into my office to train me on how to properly diagnose meibomian gland dysfunction and do you want to give a shout out to that genius yes dr sam kim i oh, haven't okay. seen him in okay. a long time but, <laughs> okay but so he sat me down at the slit lamp and said like do that here and so now i do it at the slit lamp which you know was kind of like why didn't i do that before i can have magnification and see yeah, so right. much better yeah. better so um you just kind of bend the light bend the lid over the light now I now can do it all with one hand, but I can tell you that it's a little bit awkward and mm -hmm. it takes some practice. So just getting in the routine of doing it and making sure you're doing it with your non-dominant hand as well. Um, and it's not painful to the patient. I mean, it's over and done within a couple of seconds. Really what you're looking to see is like, okay, are there glands present or not? That's how I kind of think about that. Yeah. So um, you're like everting the lower lid. Yep, over so you've top got, of them. let's mm -hmm. say you're, doing, you're, you're looking at their left eye. Okay. So you have this transluminary in your right hand. You're put, putting that up to the lower lid and somehow pulling. Like right underneath the lashes. Mm -hmm. And so right underneath the lashes. Yes. And it kind of will will bend the tarsal plate over top of them. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. All right. So then you're so looking like kind of an inverted aversion. You know, if you think about how you do like flip the lid on the top, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's sort of you're using the transilluminator instead of a cotton tip. Yeah, mm -hmm. got it. Yep. Okay. And then so for that, you are, you know, documenting severe loss like are you more specific about um, it I might just be very general like so in a in, in a case like you I would just chart you know atrophy it's going to be hard for you to be able to grade that atrophy mm -hmm. so you could just say like plus or minus atrophy for now once you start getting to the point where you have mybography in your practice that is a whole other yeah, yeah. beast um, yeah. and that requires a lot of education um, that we're working on actually some some research that I've been able to do over the past years looking at you know, inner, inner observer grading of my biography and how mm. we need a training. We mm, actually, yeah. even the experts need training. So, um, I'm working alongside some doctors to try to develop that tool. So, so you're not just grading atrophy. We also look at like bending of the glands, tortuosity. Oh, okay. And we're also looking at like segmentation or like splitting of the glands. So there's a, there's a lot, I think that my biography is going to give us yeah. and it's growing, but so that's just your structure. So again, yes, you can do that without any technology. The next thing, though, is you want to see the function, right? Mm -hmm. Ideally, you want to have a standard uh, pressure because you're going to push against the lid different than I'm going to push against the lid. And that doesn't tell you anything about what your patient's doing in a normal day when they're blinking their eyes, mm -hmm. right? So there mm -hmm. is one tool that I would probably encourage 
um, you to look at, which is called meibomian gland evaluator. Mm -hmm. And that is, a, it is looking at the, you kind of section the bottom lid into three, three. sections mm -hmm. and you're looking at about five glands each time you're pressing. So you're grading 15 glands and then you're looking at what kind of secretions coming out. Is it clear oil? Mm -hmm. Is it turbid oil? Is it really thick oil or is it nothing? nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, what I do is called my uh, um, number of glands. I call it M G Y L S in my chart, M G Y L S my glands yielding liquid secretion. And then I just give myself is a that count. Your thing or no, is that no, just, that's oh, Dr. Okay. Corb. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Dr. Corb. Definitely. Like, wow. I am not the my <laughs> queen. He is. He's the my master. Um, so Dr. Corb's grading scale, um, that's one of them. So then you would maybe section in your chart, like nasal two, um, mm. central one, temporal none or, you know, zero. And then you would use that too when you're going back after treatments to see, okay, am I triggering any more of these glands to be coming clear secretions? Yeah. So okay. in that case, you know, you're, that helps you stage your evaporative side, mild, moderate to severe as mm -hmm. well. Okay. Um, if we back up on the like, transilluminator thing. Yeah. So, because I recently had um, my biography done on myself and I knew that I had eye doctors are the worst. Patients oh, I knew I've that had. I had, um, dry eye, but when I actually saw the images, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really a lot worse than yeah. I thought. And so yeah. that experience taught me that the, that the images really speak a lot, especially yeah. for like patient buy-in, especially if you're going to be talking about lipoflow or some other sort of treatment. Is there and I know I asked you about this before, but is there, have you ever tried to photograph your transilluminator findings yeah, in the slit lamp? You probably would be better at this. I, yeah. <laughs> You're more I do have a camera. I well, yeah. no, but I do have a camera on my slit lamp. And so this oh, made yeah. me think like, yeah, oh, yeah. I wonder if I could actually photograph this. I mean, it's not as beautiful as like what it, it yeah, is. You just have to play around with the, um, just a thought. I have tried, I have taken some photos. You have to play around with the, how bright you have yeah, your transilluminator. So oh. you maybe don't oh, want to have yeah, it at okay. its full setting. Mm -hmm. So you might want to turn it down. It, it, you have to turn it down a little bit. You wouldn't have your slit lamp on as far as that light goes. And then, you know, is that going to be hard to get a good photo? I mean, if you have a slit lamp camera, I think you'd get it. Maybe. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'll yeah, try it and yeah, then I'll let you know. And let us know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there are pictures. I mean, actually, yeah. I think Dr. Corb and Caroline Blackie have um, some research that actually talks about transillumination, and they had they have some decent photos that they've taken. Um, so it's doable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It still would be hard to use that as a patient education piece. I you think. think so? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. So um, where do so we leave off on that? When yeah. you talk to the patients, if you don't have mybography, you would have maybe three images: mild, moderate, severe, um, and you would say, "This is what I'm seeing." Here's where you fall on the scale, mm -hmm. you know, until you could move into the part of, um, of getting that technology. Yeah. Yep. So, so then I think that a lot of times too, maybe what we do wrong. And, and again, I didn't know this. I, I learned as I went for a long time, mm -hmm. um, was, was how to properly stain the patient. So fluorescine is not going to be giving you your fluoresce rather is not going to be giving you your best, you know, right. right. And it might even be creating other problems, right because of the anesthetic and things like that. Yeah. So you want to be um, using the strips, yes. lysamine and fluorescein. Yeah. You want to use a, an artificial tear to moisten the top, maybe put one drop on each of the top of your strip. And then actually Dr. Um, McGee has recommended to, you know, I don't know, she read this somewhere, I'm sure, but um, Dr. Selena McGee says like, wait, 
um, actually a couple seconds, maybe 30 seconds of that drop saturating your strip before you even go to the eye. Oh, so, really? Okay. Yep. So I usually do that over in my trash can in my mm-hmm. office. You know, I put one drop on there and kind of talking to the patient about something while I'm just waiting for that to saturate. Um, and then you want to... Now, she does it simultaneously. Um, she'll put the fluorescein and the lysamine in at the same time. Mm. Um, you can mm. do it one at a time, but you can put them in at the same time. Mm-hmm. You, it, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. Or you can just do your fluorescein first and then come back and do your lysamine. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever's going to be comfortable. I'm sure it's, you know, a time saver, right, if you do them together. Yeah. So you do have to look right away because you want to grade your breakup time, right? Mm-hmm. You need to look right away for breakup time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would immediately put the patient at the slit lamp to look at that, you know, have them blink three times is what I usually say. And then I um, have them stare and I'm kind of counting in my head mm-hmm. unless I'm doing some kind of research where I have a stopwatch. I'm not usually doing that in day to day. So I'm usually like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. I mean, honestly, it's rare that I'm getting above five. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it sounds like yeah, yeah. same with Me you. too. Yes. So then while you're doing that, you really want to give that dye about 90 seconds on the surface of the eye. And this is where I think sometimes people don't do it. If you actually load the eye with that dye, and look right away, the cornea almost will look beautiful, yes, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. I found that also, like, like it's staining. Yeah. 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 So you have to kind of just, again, maybe have more of a conversation with your patient and yeah. then go back and look. That's what um, I do. Yeah. yeah. And then don't forget to lift up the lid and lower the bottom lid, especially with your lysamine stain, to look for that band of staining with the lid wiper epitheliopathy um, that you'll find under, kind of hiding underneath the lid. Yeah. So I don't remember, actually, when did that lid wiper... When did the, that was like relatively I know, new where yeah. that came out because I don't remember learning about that in school. And I remember reading a paper and was thinking like, what is this LWE they are talking about? Like, I don't know, I know what this is, but that is what it is. It's which makes sense. Okay. It's like this area of stain. Like if you pull down, as you said, on the lower lid, it's like closer to the globe. So it's like right on the eyeball, um, you know, and, and you'll see this sort of fluorescein just kind of have this line of fluorescein on there. Yeah. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my, what I, there wasn't a ton of information about this either, okay. right? Am I right that this is newer or I just wasn't paying attention? Well, no, I, I feel like everything with dry eye is new, which, yeah, um, yes. It, yes. So it is, it, it could have updated back, but I, I definitely feel like in the past maybe seven or eight years is when I started to see that, Yeah, you know, um, yeah. and that was because, because of research that we were doing, right? So actually we were privy to doing some early research using Lipiflow that Don Corb wrote the protocol, mm-hmm. which was huge for me because when you read the protocol of somebody like Don Corb, you see all the things you were doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's where I learned about dye placement, waiting. I mean, I was never waiting 90 seconds before I saw yeah. his protocol. And that's where I learned about grading um, the lid wiper epitheliopathy. So um, don't, I mean, it is, it is yeah. all, all the only reason I know about mm-hmm. that waiting to look at the cornea yeah. is because I remember as I was a resident, I stained the cornea and I was like, nope, looks great. And then I go out to report to my oh. attending and they came back in and they're like, the cornea, do you see this? Like there's all this extra. Like, and this I was like, this, okay. yes. <laughs> I know. They were like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, so I do, I learned my lesson yeah. that day, which is lovely. Um, okay. But, but sometimes you have to learn the hard way. And no, then no, the but trouble is once we get out into practice, when you're not exposed to people, you know, doctors again, I mean, it's nice that Mm -hmm. we do live in the world of digital devices because videos are out there that we can watch, but it's hard to learn as, you know, especially as you're running a business, you know, how do you find the time to 
work on always making yourself better. So once you get out into practice, it's it, you don't have the opportunity to learn and have someone correct you, right? Right. So it's nice. I mean, that's where it's nice to have organizations like even like TFAS. Like that's why I started to get involved with them is because I... I wanted to learn as much as I could about dry eye um, or reaching out to anybody that you know that's, you know, doing research in that area or has a dry eye clinic. They they want to share, you know, mm -hmm. they don't they don't want you to feel like you're on an island all by yourself. So yeah. I would say finding doctors like, you know, just like what we're doing here, you know, we're all willing to share um, yeah. to make everybody better, yeah. um, to help the patients better, all of that. The last thing I just want to ask you about is this lid wiper yeah. because uh, it was somewhat newer to me. So there may be other people that didn't know what that was, but am I correct in saying that that staining sort of develops from a mechanical sort of friction yeah. of that lid sort of coming? So that's why you see that. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's what the, th yeah. the thought is. And then that it's like um, the, the part of why it's called lid wiper epitheliopathy is because if you think about your windshield wiper and how that travels over your um, windshield, mm -hmm. if you don't have a good rubber um, wiper mm. blade, mm -hmm. then it's going to scrape against. Mm -hmm. And so as the lid becomes inflamed, the it actually will thicken. So now it's creating uh, more friction over the surface of the eye, and then it just becomes a, a problem that until it, I mean, it's a huge sign of inflammation. When I see that, I'm saying like, there's a lot of inflammation here. Oh, really? Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I see that a lot. Okay, so this was really helpful. Like the, this kind of, I think, solidifies the fact that you really don't need to buy a ton of equipment and probably suggested not to buy a ton of equipment. So you're have kind of a plan on how you're implementing everything and that you can do all of this stuff, um, with things that you actually have in your, um, in your office and, you know, purchasing the small device like the, um, uh, the, um, MGE, MGE. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then lysamine green, these are like inexpensive things. And I think also the important thing is to incorporate a questionnaire, which is inexpensive, obviously just paper and yeah. a printer. Um, incorporating that into, into your, um, into your workups and, and looking at TFAS, I think it historically, even, I mean, to me, it has seemed overly complicated, but really when you look at it, it's really, it's really yeah. not. And I think that should be a good guide. I mean, it, it actually can be as complex as you want to make it. Right. So if you read all 400 for, pages, <laughs> um, for people who are in research, they use that as, you know, they're learning a lot about the proteins in the tears we don't necessarily need that. That's their job. They'll tell mm -hmm. us what's going to be important. And then, you know, maybe we'll have a different test that we can look for different proteins in the tiers. So it can be very, very scientific and very, very complex. And that's, that's great because it's meeting the needs of so many different types of people interested in dry eye, right? For you and I in, in a private practice setting, we don't necessarily need to be at talking about all of these you know, tier dynamics to our patients, we need to be able to diagnose it mm -hmm. pretty quick and easy. And we need to then be able to subtype. And that's what we were talking about. And then that actually gets you to the next step. So once you have your staging, so they give us these stages, right? One, two, three, four, it actually then guides you to treatment. So that's the, the last part of this, I would say is you even don't have to like recreate your own, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. You know that level one, which is I mean, maybe you're going to get mild ones, you know, if you have a younger patient population, but so level one, you're talking to about things like diet, um, environmental modifications. There's always the mention of like moisture, eyewear, um, those kind of things. Oh, uh, fish oil, omega threes. That's where those things kind of play into role. Maybe the, the GLAs type, mm -hmm. type of things. Yeah. Um, level two, 
is going to be where you start to use all your anti-inflammatories. So your corticosteroids, your lifidograss, your cyclosporins, but it's also where your thermal treatments come in. Mm -hmm. So that's the place for things like the thermal pulsation, the IPL, the um, tear care, the ILUX. It's actually Mm -hmm. level two. Level three then gets into things like autologous serum. It gets into things like um, amniotic yeah, membranes. membranes. Yeah. Level level four now is like things like tarsorophy. I mean, we don't want to get there if yeah. we can avoid it. So you want to have the easy things to diagnose because you want to start your treatment as early as possible. It will make your life easier as the um, clinician and it's going to make a bigger impact for the patients. You know, treating early is going to make everybody um, feel better, see better. Now for the to the point wrap up. Making the diagnosis of dry eye does not have to be hard or expensive. Utilizing the document from TFAS Dues 2, we know that we need symptoms and signs of dry eye to make the diagnosis. Symptoms come from a questionnaire. Using a validated questionnaire like OSDI, Dry Eye Questionnaire 5, or Speed are great ways to start. And for signs, looking for corneal and conjunctival staining, rabbit tear breakup time, with your vital dyes, fluorescein and lysamine, or if you have access to osmolarity, that's another great way to assess the tear film. From there, you need to use technology for subtyping. This helps you decide if you have aqueous deficient dry eye or evaporative dry eye or a combination. TFOS Dues 2 then goes on to show us about staging and what treatments are part of that staging. But remember, Diagnosing and treating early is always in your best interest. 